0: You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. For more information on Dayton Christian Center, you can visit dcctx.church. Now let's join in for this week's message. I want to start by telling you about a nickname that I earned when I was little. Now with a name like Ivy as your first name, Poison Ivy, Ivy League, there's like numerous choices out there for nicknames. But this one came when I got into, I was a little bit older and I got into 4-H and FFA. And I loved um, shooting. I really liked archery, that was my favorite. But I started competing, I wasn't all that great. I don't think I ever placed, but I loved it. But I um, would shoot rifle, I tried a little bit of the shotgun, and of course archery. Well, this nickname was not one that, um, if you're a shooter, that you're proud of. <laughs> because the nickname was Trigger Finger, which meant I pulled the trigger and I did not squeeze the trigger. So, if you're a shooter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you're not, here's the very quick lesson: you're supposed to apply very even, controlled pressure on the trigger, slow enough that you don't actually know when the gun's actually going to go off. A pull is when you're like get really excited or something, you go and you pull it. <laughs> well, when you're trying to line up a sight, especially far distances, you know it's already bobbling a little bit. So any jerk or any quick movement is going to knock your weapon off its desired target. <laughs> so trigger finger was not the nickname that, you know, I loved, but I definitely earned it. I learned, you know, to get a little bit better, but I still can be a trigger finger at times. So when I asked God a few weeks back, um, what he wanted to tell you guys tonight, cause it is not me, it's him. I'm going to try to make sure it's none of me. <laughs> but when I say, God, what do you want to, what do you want to say to these people? Um, He immediately answered me. And, you know, if you've walked with God long enough and it's an immediate answer, usually it's the one where you're like, no, I don't want to talk on that God. (laughs) But it was immediate and it was one of those of you know better not to argue. And so you guys may be fasting and your flesh is a little bit squeamish. Mine is squeamish just because he said, no, this is what I want you to talk about. So what did he ask me to talk about? He said, Ivy, I really want you to tell them a couple of the things you've been going through. Now, when I say going through, I'm actually not talking circumstances, which is usually the first thing that comes to mind because we all got circumstances, everybody, (laughs) all the time, right? It's actually something that God has really been dealing with me in my mind over the last couple of years, really. And some things that he's been revealing to me and showing me And because I'm not usually the crier, I'm usually not the emotional one, I don't like talking about those things. Hannah uh, brought up before church that there was a sermon I did for the youth uh, years ago now um, on a rap song. Those are my kind of sermons. Like, I love it when God's like, I want you to take the lyrics of this rap song, and I want you to break it down into (laughs) biblical principles. Those are fun. So this is not one of those ones that I, like, get really hyped up about, but it's what he told me to talk about. And you're probably thinking, okay, how in the world did your nickname Triggerfinger go along with you talking about what God's been telling you? Well, it starts out by God having all of us aimed at a very specific target. Every single one in here, whether you believe it or not tonight, God has a very specific purpose and a very, very pointed target that he has in your sights right now. And... Proverbs 16 9, and I, I have several versions tonight. The Passions translation, if you if you've never explored other versions, like you just have to sometimes. It's really fun. But the Passion Translation of Proverbs 16.9 says, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So even when we're like, okay, we're the ones that's making the choice, because God made us free will beings. He gave us a choice. And we're the ones that have to actually pull the trigger or squeeze the trigger. Um, He has a desired target for us. So, here's the problem. Again, it's our choice. So, are we going to hit the target that God wants for us, that God has us aimed at, and squeeze slowly and patiently with God so that we hit it, or are we going to react and pull and knock our aim off course? So, we first have to break down why in the world do we pull a trigger in the first place, right? If you've you know, shot a gun, a bow, anything really, even a, probably a Nerf gun, <laughs> um, there's reasons why you end up pulling the trigger versus squeezing it. So here's the three reasons that I came up with why you pull, I'm sure there's many more, but these were the three that came to me. Number one, we get excited. Now I'm picturing because we live in South Texas, everyone's thinking of their you know deer cams, and they've been watching this certain book or axis all year. And so they know what it looks like. They know it's there. And so there's the day that you're in the tree stand and like all the angels and planets have aligned and here it out walks. And it's in your sight, right? You get really excited because that's the one. You can't blow this. It's got to be perfect. And so you get really excited. And so if you're not experienced, if you've not been in that position enough, you may let your nerves get to you, even though it's excitement and you may pull the trigger and miss the shot, right? Or at least miss it enough that then it's got to like take a while because you got to follow the blood trails, all that, right? So number two, quite the opposite. We get scared. We get scared. Um, My dad grew up hiking and backpacking. Um, He was one of those that would pack in on mules down in some crazy canyon, stay for a long time. And I remember he told me a story about one of the guys that he hiked with a lot, um, that he was up some mountain someday. My dad actually wasn't on this trip, but he saw a mountain lion. And if you've been in the woods enough, you know you don't see mountain lions. If you are seeing a mountain lion, it's bad because they're wanting you to see them, you know? It's it's a choice. They put themselves there so you know they're there. And so he sees this mountain lion, and um, of course they're like, okay. So we don't really have a chance. It's like him, and I don't remember if it was his son or his friend, but some other guy was with him, and it was kind of one of those moments of, we have to get out of here right now. Because if this cat decides to come after us, you know, there, there may be a shot. And I want to say he had like a pistol, something that he had a chance with if the mountain lion came at him. But still, he was terrified. And so I remember my dad telling me that they slowly, you know, had to come down the mountain. um, But the whole time, they had to hold the gun at the ready. You know what I mean? Like, it's not one where you sling it on your back and you're like relaxed. Like, you have it at the ready, ready to pull that trigger at any second. So we are scared sometimes and we pull the trigger. The third one, we get impatient. <laughs> we may have totally calm nerves. May not. We may not, you know, have our excitement getting the best of us. We may not even be scared at all. We're totally calm. We're just impatient. Like, just get it over with. Come on. I remember this was one of my worst ones, especially in archery, because the ones that were indoors where you literally just stood there and it was like arrow after arrow at the same target. I'm sorry. I was little and I got bored. Like, I was like, oh, just come on. <laughs> My favorite were the 3D shoots. Those I was down with because you got to like walk and get your energy out, and those were really fun. But the ones where you just line up and it's like just over and over again, you just get impatient sometimes. And then you usually like way, you know, way miss your target and you're like, slow down. Like, what's wrong with you? So I want to talk about these three things, these three reasons why we pull the trigger, and I want to make a spiritual connection to them, guys, okay? So let's look into this first one the we get excited. So when I talk about we get excited, I want you to go to 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. Because we gotta talk about David. Not the David down here that's your pastor, but King David. So 2 Samuel 11, verses one through four, I'm gonna read it for you. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah but David remained in Jerusalem. And I don't know if you've read like the Bible enough to know, if they put something really random like that in there, there's a totally good reason. And it was to tell you, he wasn't supposed to be home. <laughs> he was supposed to be out with them. It said, when kings go off to war, which meant uh, you're the king, David, you're supposed to go off to war. And so this little tiny sentence, you could just read over and you totally miss the fact that God did not want him to be home during that time, but he was. So this is what happened. Said one evening, verse two, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And in the uh, Passion Translation, it says stunningly beautiful Like, I think every woman wants to be that girl in God's Bible to be like, that was the stunningly beautiful one. Stunningly beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. David got excited. I think that's pretty safe to say. (laughs) He saw this beautiful woman. And all I could picture, sorry, that's just where my mind went when I was reading this, was Joey from Friends, you know, the like, how you doing? To this Bathsheba on the roof. (laughs) So... He is looking, he is super excited about this girl. He's like, oh, please be single, please be single, right? Send someone to find out about her, but as you keep reading, you find out, oh no, she's married. Oh, to one of the guys off fighting for you. Like, it's really messed up, (laughs) y'all. However, there is not hardly a verse in between where he says he went to find out about her and then he brought her into the palace and he slept with her. Before he could get control of his excitement, before these emotions could come down and he could make an unclouded decision, he pulled the trigger. And as a result, a man's life was lost, her husband. Because she gets pregnant, he tries to like accidentally get him killed. That doesn't work. So now just just make sure he dies in battle. Made sure it happened. Because he was excited and pulled the trigger, A man lost his life. Y'all, that's serious. Sometimes when we pull the trigger, because, you know, again, if you're pulling the trigger, I mean, you can see my trigger finger. You know, and what's so funny, I'm here as a teacher, and I'm like, as soon as I do this, I'm like, I'm not supposed to do that. But, (laughs) sorry, but when you pull it, you can see I would pull it to the left. If I really jerked on that sucker, right, it's gonna pull off target to the left, Now think about like the super dramatized version of this. If I pull really hard, I could end up hurting the people right next to me, the people nearest to you. Does that make sense? And that's what happened here with David when he got excited. He pulled in a moment of reaction, and people near to him paid for it. There was um, a young man I actually think of that When he was growing up, we knew him as a little kid, and as he was growing up, becoming a teenager, like you just saw the call of God on him. He is anointed for ministry. You knew it from, I mean, the time he was a little toddler, and he was growing with the Lord. He was just like on target for it, right? And there was a time in his life where the church that he was at, um, a position came open. Someone left suddenly, a position came open, and they knew, hey, this guy's anointed, we've known it for years, here's a position, like, it just must be God. And in their excitement and reaction, they just put him in that position. Way too early. And the result of that, because they just reacted, it just made sense in their heads, they didn't stop again to let the emotion, the excitement over it calm down, check it out with God. This kid ended up running from ministry, running from his family, from God for years, and is just now taking steps back into the ministry. I mean, they have huge consequences sometimes from not waiting out the excitement and checking it with God. So what about the second one? We get scared. Let's look at someone very near and dear to King David. Saul. (laughs) Go to 1 Samuel 10. 1 Samuel 10. Verses 18 through 22. i got to find it. There it is. All right. So in verse 17, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your calamities and distress. And you have said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and your clans. So let me back up and give you a little story before we get into this. Pretty much what this is right now is this is Saul. Pre-king. Okay. So Saul was the king way before David was the king. And the Israelites were going along, they were being led by the Lord. And the Lord or the Israelites were like, no, all the other countries have a king. We want a king. And God was like, yeah, no. And they argued with God and they whined at God and they were like, no, we really want a king. And God finally said, Fine, you want a king? I'll give you a king. So this is at the point where you can, you can see uh, in that verse, no, set a king over us. And so Samuel was the prophet at the time and he was going to anoint who God was going to set as king at the time, okay? So now we know where we're at. Um, in verse 20, it says, when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Um, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, oh yeah, he's hidden himself in the baggage. Like, here you're anointing a king. And the God's like, yeah, he's, he's hiding among the baggage. You gotta go get him. Would you be excited about that king? <laughs> he's hiding in the baggage. And the worst part of this was he knew He already knew he was supposed to be king. Samuel had already met with him alone, had already anointed him. He had gone with the other prophets and immediately felt the anointing, started prophesying. Like if you were, you know, Joe Blow out of, you know, your hometown and you go just meet with some pastors and suddenly prophecies start popping out of your mouth, I think that would be confirmation that, oh, okay, God is with me in this. And yet when they go to actually present him in public, he hides in the bags, (laughs) He's hiding among the baggage. And you know, it's interesting that um, in the, I think it's in the same chapter, in chapter 10, when they, when he went to prophesy, well, when he wasn't going to prophesy, when he started prophesying, the people that knew him, and it even says, since he was a child. So you're like, okay, these are people that have known him since he was like waddling around. They said, when they saw him prophesying, it was like, oh, oh. God must be here because it was one of those drastic changes that was obviously God. This was not a kid, you could just tell by the way the scripture reads, this was not a kid that they expected this out of. Does that make sense? So it's like, okay, this is a drastic, automatic change. You are just prophesying. You've had the prophet of God anoint you and you're hiding. And what we learn about Saul is he was scared he felt inferior most of his life. And he, was, he would get jealous and he would get scared because of that inferiority feeling. So let's talk about a time that his fear caused him to pull a trigger. Look at 1 Samuel 13, just go a couple chapters over. 13, starting in verse five. So it says, the Philistines had assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and they camped at Michmash, east of beth And when the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in the caves and thickets among the rocks in pits and cisterns. In other words, they hid everywhere they could, y'all. <laughs> Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. This is a very obvious one of you are scared when you're holding that weapon. He waited seven days, which was the time set by Samuel. That was the prophet, right? He said, wait seven days and I'll come back and I will sacrifice for God before you fight. So he waited these seven days. Samuel did not show up to Gilgal. Saul's men started scattering. The few men he's got with him, they're starting to run. And so he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrives. It's one of those of like, of course, now you show up, (laughs) right? So Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. And of course, Samuel says, what have you done? What have you done? You see, he saw what was ahead of him, what was facing him, the enemy in front of him that was ready to rip him apart. He had men standing by him, but they're all shaken. They're all scared out of their minds. And so when that second happened and Samuel wasn't there right now, and don't we feel that sometimes in our lives when we're like, God, if you don't show up right now, I can't go one more second. I cannot go one more second if you don't show up. That's how they felt. So in that second that Samuel didn't show up, he went, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do or what's supposed to happen. I'm just gonna do it. And he pulls the trigger. He pulls it in a reaction. He pulls it. And what's sad is he doesn't learn his lesson either. (laughs) You just keep going in Samuel. You can go to 1 Samuel 18, 28. Where is it at? Right here. 1 Samuel 18, 28. When Saul realized the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michael, loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him. And he remained his enemy the rest of his days. So if you don't know the story... Saul becomes king. He does, even though he hid in the bags. (laughs) He still became king, and the fear just followed him. When he was in that story where he did the sacrifice too early, which he wasn't even supposed to be the one sacrificing, he was king at that time, leading the army. And then when you fast forward and you're in chapter 18 with him, this is where God pretty much said, dude, you have just messed up over and over again, so yeah, you're done, and I'm gonna let David become king. And God tells him this. He said... He straight up tells him, because you keep pulling the trigger and missing the target, I am no longer going to let your lineage reign. I am choosing a new king. That happened to be David. So he knows David as a young boy. And so Saul starts to see him gain popularity and become the guy. And he sees that he's got the anointing and the anointing's leaving him. And he's jealous, but he's just, he's more scared. Because that has been his MO from the beginning he was scared. And so he reacted again in fear and just goes on a rampage trying to kill the guy, wastes all the money, all the resources. It's a crazy story. Y'all should read it. (laughs) But something, you know, interesting about him was he habitually did something and it revealed that character in him. So fear is a motivator, I think we can all say. And sometimes it can be a good motivator, don't get me wrong. There's times where competition, you're in competition and you've got like the butterflies, it's a good kind of scared and it can just motivate you to step up to the plate, right? But you have to make sure that something is the fear of God and that you are in reverence to God and that's the fear you're feeling Then the manipulation of fear from Satan and don't get the two confused. Make sure you walk with God enough to know this is the fear of God in me. This is not the manipulation of fear in me. I think one of the um, coolest stories that I think of with fear actually came out of a Bible study I did with um, some teenage girls years ago. I did it several times. It was one of my favorites. Um, Lisa Bevere wrote it and she tells a story of Sleeping Beauty which, of course, every girl usually grows up knowing. And, if you know, most of you know the story of Sleeping Beauty. They, like, you know, the little witch comes and curses them, says you're gonna prick your finger on a spinning wheel on your, what, 16th birthday or 18th birthday, I don't even remember, and you're gonna fall asleep for the rest of your life. So what do the parents do? Instead of, like, we're going to get the best spinning wheel people up here in this castle, and we're going to teach you how to use this properly so that there is no way you would even put your finger near that, that prick. Instead, they burn them all, get them out of sight. This poor girl's never even seen one. She don't even know what it is. Why? Because her parents reacted in fear. They went straight to the extreme of the fear of this thing happening that they just tried to get rid of everything that could possibly get in her way of this. Instead of teaching her from a young age, this is what this is. This is what this looks like. This is how you properly use it. They went to fear, the extreme. And I love that Lisa Bevere put Ecclesiastes 7.18 in there. Let me see. Did I mark that one? I did. Ecclesiastes 7.18, it says, it's good to grasp the one, but not let go of the other, for the man who fears God will avoid all extremes. And when I was a a young girl, that was a huge verse for me, because there were times that I would look at religion and churches and see extremism. And sometimes I would be like, um, okay, I know there's like extreme faith, but like, just don't know about that. And this really settled it in my heart of God is not a God of extremes. And I'm not talking about extreme faith. You know what I mean? I'm talking about decisions that churches and people make on doctrines, and they take something way off in left field somewhere. God's not the God of that, guys. He's not the God of extremes. Extremes come from fear. All right, so let's get on to this last one. We get impatient, oh, we get impatient. And since we've talked about David and Saul, we of course have to go all the way back to Genesis and talk about the founding father, Abraham. Because y'all, I don't know of any more impatient story in the Bible. There's several, but this one kind of takes the cake, if you will, right? Genesis 1 is talking about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is literally the father of Christianity for as we know it. When you read through the Bible, you hear all of the Jewish people referring to the father, you know, the God of our father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was the lineage, okay? So this was the first one. This was Abraham, like he is the guy. And in 161, it says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Okay. So, quick backstory on this one. Just again, if you don't know, Abraham and Sarah had a promise from God. God said, You are the guy. I'm gonna establish my lineage through you. You're gonna have sons as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I'm just saying, if that was me as his wife, I'd be like, oh no, not that many. Chill out, God. <laughs> but back then, you know, it was a it was a good thing. You were like you were, you were the woman if you could like give him all kinds of kids, right? So God promises them that though. He says, your sons are gonna outnumber the stars. There's gonna be so many of them. And now they're old. Like we're talking real old. Like everything is done and gone and dead. And there is no kid and so, of course, they're way beyond doubting at this point, And they're like, you know, I don't know what's supposed to happen. I know that I know that God told me that this is my promise. This is my target. This is where I'm supposed to be going. But there is no young ones running around, right? And so Sarah says, okay, well, if I know God told me this is the promise, that's where I'm supposed to end up. And I have the resources and I know how to get myself from point A to point B. Maybe I'm just supposed to do it. Maybe that's it she got impatient. So she just took care of business. She said, well, I've got a maidservant. We do this all the time in the old days. So he get, she gives her maidservant to her husband. Of course she has a kid, Ishmael. If you don't know the history of Ishmael and Isaac, y'all, it's an interesting one. You know the Arabs, like the Taliban, all those people? Guess who they come from? Ishmael. The one where Sarah decides, I'm gonna hit the target on my own, Yep, that's where the Arab nation comes from. Later, of course, God goes, okay, (sighs) y'all, you screwed that one up. But the good thing that I love about God is even if we may miss a few targets on the way of the final one, he gets us to the final one as long as we choose to come back to him every time, every time. And I want you to hear that clearly tonight. If you have messed up over and over and over, you've pulled trigger after trigger after trigger and you're like, I'm nowhere near that target. There's a final target for everyone and God will get you right back on it in a heartbeat. You just have to choose to go back to it, okay? So anyways, Genesis, I just I have to read this y'all because the history is just incredible. Genesis 17, 16 through 21 explains this a little bit. Where's 16? There it says, I will bless her. This is God talking to Abraham. It says, I will bless her. And I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And Abraham fell face down. He laughed. And he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, Come on, God. If only Ishmael just might live under your blessing. And God said, Yes. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, and I will establish my covenant covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful; I will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And what's interesting is he later tells you that Ishmael, when God was speaking to Hagar, the maidservant, pretty much he said, Ishmael and all of his generations will be a wild donkey of a man. He will live pretty much as an enemy to Isaac. And he is still to this day. So, oh, and just a side note too, with this whole, I'm telling you the history and all this is amazing, guys. The, the Arab nation is, it's, they're, the, they're the Muslims, right? The Muslims follow a book called the Quran. Do you know what it says in the Quran? It says, Ishmael is the covenant promised child. My Bible, the living, breathing, alive word of God says, uh-uh, it is Isaac. And then in Revelation 22, just in case I doubted it, this book says, in case you thought about it, anything added to or taken away from this, you will be adding plagues and curses to your life. And I think that plays out as well. If you can see with the Arab nation, they have added curses to their life because they tried to change what God designed. So it's pretty easy to figure out. Trigger fingers, guys, they cause us jack up our shots and miss our targets. And hear me in this, we pull the trigger because we are reacting, not responding. God calls us to respond to situations with his guidance, with his wisdom. When we try to do that on our own and react in the moment, we will mess it up probably every time. So, to the part that God said talk about what he's been showing you. About 3 years ago, this is where it all started. I went to the women's conference up in Colorado. And our ladies ministry has gone there several times, but this was the year that they we didn't go as a group, but I loved it. Y'all know how amazing it is. Those of you who have been and I was like, I'm not missing it. So, I hopped myself on a plane and went by myself. And it was really it was really kind of cool because There really wasn't anyone I knew. I mean, I don't have trouble making friends, but I wasn't there to hang out, have fun, or get distracted. It was me and God. And I remember a few nights in, and when I say a few nights in, those that have been know, you've been in a lot of worship and prayer and soaking in the Word by the end of this conference. And a really sweet friend of mine, um, I don't know if she asked if I wanted to pray or if I asked her. I don't remember, but I ended up kind of off with this sweet friend of mine and she just said, can I pray with you? And I remember her saying something along the lines of, it's a little weird, I'm gonna ask questions. Just close your eyes and just see what God tells you. I'm like, okay. So I remember one of the first questions she said, she says, what are you scared of? And again, I've been soaking in the word, soaking in worship and prayer, and so immediately I heard, losing my friends. Now that seems weird, (laughs) probably to a lot of you, but in my mind and in that time, the history started playing since I was little. And so just really quick like snippets of this, just so that you get a little understanding. I had, you know, like childhood best friend all through grade school, goes to middle school, decides out of nowhere, she wants to hang out with another crowd. She had been my best friend, my next door neighbor, so we were literally together all the time. Goes off. I don't hardly talk to her till her senior year. She actually ended up getting killed in the house next to me. We heard the gunshot by her boyfriend later. So I never got another relationship with that girl. So I get to junior high, I've got another friend moves in. The teachers think we're related, we were so close, they actually thought we were sisters <laughs> when we would go into new grades. But her dad was a doctor at hospitals, one of those that like I guess they bring in to like fix some stuff, and so they moved him every three to four years. So three years down the road, best friend moves way out of state, right? And so I try to stay connected with her back before there was all this crazy stuff. And I remember reaching out to her and I was like, no, we're gonna like, we're close. We're gonna stay connected. I don't care where you are. And I remember her like blowing me off and it hurt. Cause I'm like, we were, we were like family. What are you doing? And at my young age, it was hard for me to understand someone that moves every two to three years can't hold on to all of those deep relationships. Right? Same thing kept happening. Had another best friend for the next three years. I let in just as close. We were family. Moved out of state right before our senior year. Like things just kept happening like this. Even in my adult life, would have someone I let in, finally let my guard down with, would tell him everything. She was single at the time she got married. The husband, dynamic, didn't mesh with our family. We knew it. I can't even tell you the last time I talked to her. Guys, this was something that had been Satan my entire life, telling me lies that my friends are going to leave me every time. And I knew I was scared of it. And God at the Colorado conference says, you have to give that up. You can't block yourself off because at that time I realized I was doing that. I realized I was building walls to protect myself that nobody gets there anymore because I don't want to go through the heart again. The other one is even harder to talk about because I'm a pastor's wife. (laughs) I've grown up in church since the day I was born, grew up Southern Baptist. Guess what my other trigger is? And when I say trigger, let me back up. This whole trigger finger thing got me thinking because I actually, I'm, an, I'm a teacher, I have an education major, but my other major is psychology under Christian counseling. And I remember one of the biggest things, of course, you learn in psychology is triggers, like PTSD triggers kind of a thing. Where in other words, something can trigger an emotional reaction. Sometimes it's like up on the surface and you know what's going on and sometimes it is totally underground. You have no idea you're even reacting to something. You're just reacting. A good example of this was when my mother-in-law passed away. Every time it came up on a birthday, an anniversary, or the day she died, Nick would start acting crazy. And there were times I know he didn't even know why. He didn't even know he was reacting. And then he would be in the evening sometime and he'd go, oh, do you know what day it is? And I'd be like, yeah. And you could see the light bulb of, whoa that's why I've been acting like this. It's like, yeah, it's a natural trigger. Like that time of year comes around and you just naturally feel it even though you didn't consciously know it. So another trigger of mine is church. And that is hard to be a pastor's wife and admit, but it is. I remember being like four or five in the Baptist church and I used to hand out bulletins And I loved working with um, one of these older men, passing out the bulletins, thought I was big stuff. And I remember the worship song was playing in the foyer and I just started spinning, like spinning circles. I'm five. And he came up and reprimanded me because he said, Baptists do not dance. And I love the Baptist church, don't get me wrong. I have such a foundation from the Baptist church. I am grateful for them. Guys, churches are made of people. They're not perfect. God is perfect. That's it. There is no perfect church and there are no perfect people. They will hurt you. They will let you down. And the worst part is a lot of times they don't even know it or they don't even mean to. I remember you know, watching my parents lead Sunday school classes and my dad was a deacon. And so you can just picture any kind of politics you've ever seen played out <laughs> anywhere in life. Like there's politics, there are people. Drama happened, politics happened. But probably where it started getting really bad was when I was 18 and I was at, I was at a different Baptist church at that time, but I was 18 and I got pregnant a couple months before my wedding. Now, that's like, you know, voodoo in any church usually, but a Baptist church, you don't do that. (laughs) And the pastor, who I love dearly, I still love the man. It took me a while to get back to that, but I love him, called me out from the pulpit in front of my church family. And I know a lot of people that would have walked away at that point. But again, that's why I say I thank the Baptist Church because they gave me a foundation enough to know these are people and people will always hurt me no matter how deeply that is not God. That is not the body of Christ. That was a person pulling a trigger out of a reaction. That's not God. And I'll never leave God. Which means I'll be in church around people that will hurt me. I have one more, and really only because I'm out of time, but God told me to be obedient. And I, need, I guess someone needs to hear this. I also was at another church, younger, um, adult life, and I was pregnant with my daughter this time. And my parents didn't live anywhere in the state. And so, you know, you usually take your mom to your ultrasound. These pastors, we were working at the church. We were pastors under them. And you don't do ministry with people, and they're not family. I'm sorry. You just don't. If you're not family with them, you know, you're not doing ministry right. (laughs) And so I remember I wanted them to be at my ultrasound. They were family to me. They were second parents to me. And that's the only way I viewed them. And they were. They were at my daughter's ultrasound. That is how close we were. And fast forward a few years, and literally the only way I can explain it is Mulan. Pack up. Go home. You're through. Out of nowhere. Because of a disagreement. A disagreement. And it was a gut reaction, an immediate reaction, and it was, you're done. Leave. And I'm done with you. As people and even you even me all the time we will react we will pull the trigger and we will get off target and we will get off course but God wants you pure and so what he was showing me over these last couple of years was he said hello you know the story how do you get pure gold how do you get pure silver oh yeah you throw it in fire and you melt it <sighs> right that's what he does and so he says I'm sorry but you're not going to get rid of this unless I throw you in that fire and I can scrape off the dross at the top. And one thing that I remember from those pastors, and I still, I can stand before you today and say, God has allowed me to forgive all of these things, to stand before you and say, that's not God, that was Satan. People are people and I can still love them. One of the things that those actually pastors taught me was we were doing a, a training actually for post abortive women. And I remember I was still pretty young, like I was probably 22, 23, and I was like, I can't relate. And she's like, of course you can't. You'll never be able to relate to that. And I said, then how would I even talk to someone that's gone through that? And she says, you have empathy. And I said, how? Like, I can't, I can't even, I can't. And she said, it's easy. You're no less a sinner than they are. And I was like, whoa. She said, sin is sin. It's no different. Have you sinned? Yeah, I've sinned. Okay. That's all you need to be able to relate to because it's all the same in God's eyes and they need to know that. So many in here tonight may relate to triggers of relationships, of losing them maybe, or even to of churches. Maybe you've got your own triggers. I don't know what they are, but I just know God wants to let the Holy Spirit lead your response. Don't react. Don't pull the trigger over excitement or fear or impatience and veer off the course that God set for you. I'll end with Psalms 37.5. And it's in the Passionist Translation. It says, give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust him along the way, you'll find... He pulled it off perfectly. He's the only one that can pull and it turns out perfect. (laughs) Let's pray guys. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you so much for just allowing these people to come tonight and just soak in worship of you, Lord God, and soak in your presence, Heavenly Father. I pray that they will dig into their word that they will allow themselves to go through some heat so that you can scrape off that dross, get it out of their lives so that they can forgive, so that they cannot react anymore because, God, you've given them peace over it. Jesus, I thank you so much for your blessings, for your promises. May we be patient with those promises, God, so we can hit our target. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you chose to tune in with us this week. We hope that today's message left you challenged, encouraged, and inspired. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear more, you can find us wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts as well as on YouTube. Thanks again for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast.